you for the ministry that is happening here. Thank you for the provision you have made. Thank you for people sacrificing to give here. May we be faithful. May we continue to accomplish your purposes here. And we pray now, Lord, that you would open your word to us and speak to us in this moment. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have any of you ever felt left out? Grandma's feeling left out in this picture. I don't know what she did. Maybe she just over-seasoned that potato salad at the family. I don't know what happened, but nobody's sitting by poor grandma over there. I don't know what she did. I don't know. Maybe, you know, she's been a little hard on the family, but grandma's feeling left out of this photo. Have you ever felt left out? A story that came to my mind when I was uh, 19, it was between my freshman and sophomore year at Western, I went home and I worked for a city shop, the city of Sumner, it's a little city right next to Puyallup where I grew up, and I worked for their city shop, the city shop, you know, takes care of lots of things in the city, sometimes with the parks department, sometimes with the water, sometimes with the sewer, sometimes with general events, so I worked there and I was basically like, you know, the hired boy, right? You're going to do this. You're going to pick up everything we don't want to carry. You're going to get into the dirty stuff. And the rest of the guys did all the jobs that were fun. And I just kind of, all right, you go clean the bathroom. You go wash the truck. Oh, that's a big hole to dig. Get the kid over here. So, But uh, it was kind of a fun job for me because they had lots of equipment. They were like, let me learn how to drive a backhoe. They just put me in a field. They said, all right, you got a half hour. Knock yourself out. So I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> But I was having fun, and they messed with torches. and So it was kind of cool, manly work, and, and uh, there was some things. But one of the things that I had to do was wash the trucks. I think there were six or eight trucks we had. I don't remember. The same trucks you see driving around Bellingham, you know, they're all white. Say City of Bellingham. These were all white, said City of Sumner. So as the guys would come in off a thing, if they were going to be in the shop for a few minutes, I'd just jump in their truck, pull it over, wash it down, and they'd go back doing whatever they were doing. And at one time, finally, I don't know, it was a lunch break, there was this guy named Clay. He was kind of a bigger guy, like, he didn't ever comb hair, and he was just kind of, his hair was this, and his truck was filthy, and he's like, hey, you've washed every other truck in this shop. You haven't washed my truck. You haven't washed my truck even once. And I was kind of like, well, your truck's nasty. I don't really want to get in your truck. But I didn't say that aloud. I was like, well, you're always out. It's always gone. Leave it here. I'll wash it. So he did, and I, you know, scrubbed his truck down, and then Clay felt better. But he was feeling left out. What's the, what's the deal? Why don't you wash my truck? Why don't you care? Have you ever been in these situations where somebody's feeling like they're, they're left out? Why don't you do that for them? Maybe your kids. Hey, they got to watch that. Hey, they got to have an iPhone at this age. I want one. That's actually the story of our passage today. One of the unique things, we're starting this study here in the book of Romans. One of the unique things about the letter to the Romans is that the writer, Paul, has actually not been there as of the time of the writing. So if if you're new to the Bible, that's okay. There was a man named Paul called by God, and he was told to go around the known world at the time and preach the gospel and plant churches. So he traveled from Jerusalem and went up around the Mediterranean through the Roman world of the time. And everywhere he went, he'd preach the gospel. And as people got saved, he'd organize them into a church. And then many of the New Testament letters you read 
are letters to those churches. He's writing to the church in Ephesians. You got the book of Ephesians, or he's writing to the church in Ephesus. You got Ephesians. He's writing to the church in Philippi. You got the letter to the Philippians. He's writing to churches. When you come to the book of Romans, he is writing to a church, but he hasn't founded it. He's never been there as of the time of the writing. He gets there eventually. He didn't start the church. The church is existing. And so there, you're gonna, when we read this, you might hear him kind of making an argument why he didn't get there. Because I wonder if they're feeling left out. Hey, you went over to that church. Hey, you were, in, you were in Athens. You were in Corinth. You're in Philippi. Rome here is the capital. It'd be like skipping New York City. Like, I'm not going there. You know, I'm going to go to all these other little towns, but I'm not going to the big town. Like, why are you skipping us? So you can see him making a little bit of a defense for why he hasn't got there. I've tried to get to you. I want to get to you. I, I, I know it's the center of the world at that time. I know it's the big city, but I haven't been able to get there. So they're feeling a little left out, but Paul's going to tell them why, and then he's planned to get there. So that's just to get our mind into the story of this passage. So we're going to do Romans 1, chapters 8 through 17. We'll go through this uh, this morning. I'll read it, and then we'll go, go back through this. Romans 1. Going in verses 8 through 17. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you. See that? He's saying, don't feel left out. I've been trying. But thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, if you can see that, him, that little bit of defense in there, I'm trying to get there, I'm going to get there, I've been praying to get there, it hasn't worked out, I'm coming, don't feel left out. So here's our outline for today. We're going to see that we want to live with gospel-formed values. Live with gospel-formed values. The idea of a value is something that becomes important to your heart. Not something that you wish you could do. A value is not a wish. It's not an uh, aspiration. You know, I'm really going to work out this year. Or I'm really going to do, that's a wish. A value is something that you already do. It's already important to you. And so Paul is going to show us here when the gospel comes to him, when he understands the good news of Jesus, like we just celebrated here, it changes what's important to him and we see it come out. And so my hope is that we will see some of these things, these values we will want to live out as the gospel changes us. So this isn't every value we want to have, but here's three in this passage. The first one is that people come first. 
The second one is that we're on mission to reach everyone. And the third is that the gospel does the work. The gospel does the work. So there's our three. Number one, we want to live with gospel-formed values. People come first. So if we look here in verse 1-8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in the world. So he's just thankful, right? He's, I'm thankful for your faith. I'm thankful that you exist. I'm thankful that you're far away in the key capital city of the, the seat of power of the world today, that there is a, a gospel presence at a church formed. I didn't go there. I didn't do it. But I am thankful for you all. And you saw it was very kind of heartfelt and genuine. There you see that. I thank God because your faith is proclaimed. He's thankful for their, their public faith. And it just made me realize, you know, I was gone, if you're new today, I was gone on a sabbatical all summer, so I wasn't here for three months. And I was so thankful to hear how things kept going. It's not that I didn't think it would, but it was, it was wonderful to hear, oh, this person did this, and oh, they had a great camp, and the Sundays are going well, and these people are doing this. And the one that most stood out to me was when I heard about the baptism that happened at the end of the summer at Lake Patton. Because my kids went, and they go, oh, yeah, some people got baptized, and it was several of our, our students got baptized. Oh, and then there was some other lady that came over, and she was ready to get baptized, so they baptized her, and some jogger, they dragged them down to the... No, that didn't happen. <laughs> but uh, it was just this thankfulness. I'm just so thankful for the ministry of a church. And that's Paul's heart. I'm thankful. It's going around the world. Hey, there's a church in Rome. Did you hear a church is in Rome? Yeah, there's a church right in the capital city. The word's going out. He's thankful for their faith. So you can see immediately, right out of the gate, he's talking about how other people and their faith is important. He says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. This is not for show. This is not to make personal gain. He's like, I'm doing this with every depth of my being, I want to serve Jesus. So we're just getting a sense of what's shaping Paul. I want to serve him in the gospel, the announcement of the resurrection of Jesus, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. So again, we're seeing Paul develop this case. He hasn't been there, but he's describing um, his attitude towards them and showing that their faith, that other people come first. And the first thing he says is, I, without ceasing, mention you in my prayers. I'm just all the time praying for you. So that alone is a challenge, right? I don't pray without ceasing, but he's saying I pray all the time and what I do is I mention you in my prayers. And I just think that is so powerful. Sometimes we can take for granted what it means to pray for somebody. To mention somebody means that you're going to remember them, you're going to bring it up, they're on your mind. And so it just don't, don't think of that lightly, that you're praying along in the morning. If not, I encourage you to start praying. But you're going to pray along, and you're going to take someone's name and bring it before God Almighty. Like, don't take that for granted, that you're going to say, I'm praying, and I've got this going on, but I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember Travis. Be Lord in heaven. Be with Travis this week. Isn't that amazing? 
Don't, don't lose sight of what you're doing. You're mentioning, you're bringing it up to someone in prayer, their name before God, and you're asking God. And he knows. It's not like he didn't know. Like, oh, I didn't know that was going on. Thanks for the info. He's ju- you're just wanting God to work in their life. So we see that. Paul, he's come. I want to be there. I'm thankful for your faith. I'm mentioning you in my prayers. I want you to work in their life. So he says that by somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He really does want to get there, even if they're feeling left out. Now, this isn't what this first point is about. This isn't what the sermon's about, but I didn't want to leave it there because I think um, we want to know this all the time. Like, how do we know? How do you know if God's telling you to do something? Ever wonder that? Anybody ever wonder that? He says, by somehow, by God's will. Like, what's he going to do? What's Paul going to do? Is he going to wake up and, and he just can't, can't stop thinking about Rome? And then the first newspaper opens says Rome. And then he goes to a bagel shop. says Roman bagels. He's like, that's it. I got to go to Rome. Like, how does he know? And uh, so I just was going to throw in, how do you know if God's telling you to do something? This is kind of bonus material, but I didn't want to leave it. And I'll tell you how I, a lot, one way. Let's do that. One way I know is just through opened and closed doors. Open and closed doors. And so you're praying, should I do this thing? Should I not do this thing? How do I know if it's God? How do I not know? How do I know? Does the door open or does the door close? So I'll give you just, this is just practical, simple. The beginning of June, our group of churches called Converge, Converge Worldwide holds an annual gathering every two years. So they were holding one in Colorado. I've never been to an annual gathering. I've only been to our local region. So I thought I'd be great. I'm off. I have the time to do it. I said, but I want, the only way I'll go, because I'm trying to be very careful with spending and money, and I don't want to, you know, it costs a lot to fly there and then get a hotel and then get a car and then go to the conference. I want to be very careful with that. So I just said, Lord, if you want me to go to this conference, would you provide the housing that I could at least share with another pastor and split the hotel cost. That was my prayer. Just if you want, if that doesn't work out, I'll just take it as I'm not supposed to go to that event. So I prayed that. I put out a little email to our district executive minister, Nate. He preached here the end of August, Nate Hedinga. He said, hey, is anyone going from our region to this conference that I could just connect with and see if we could split a hotel cost? And he gave me a name and he said, even better yet, his name's Kevin, not the Kevin that came here, a different Kevin. He said, Kevin's going, and he's at, his room's actually already paid for because he's doing the service for the conference. So if you get a hold of him, your room is free. Nice. The only catch is he snores like a bear. No, he didn't write that. But uh, So I get a hold of Kevin. Kevin's like, yeah, I've got a car. I've got a hotel rented. Love the company. Let's go. The door opened, so I went. That's a, I took that as God's will. It was just a simple, if you want this door to open, would you make this one detail happen? And God opened the door. So I just throw that out there. That's one way you could know. If you're not sure God wants something in your life, you're not sure of a direction, you could just say, God, I, this seems like a direction. I don't have a clarity. Would you open this door if you want it to go? Would you close this door if you want it to go? So there's something, that was bonus material. I don't know if Paul did something like that. Hey, could you make this happen? The next ship I'm going to board is going to Rome. And he got on. I was like, no, we're going over here to Egypt. Sorry. Like, okay, I take it as we're not going to Rome. 
I don't know his test, but that's something you can do. So here we go. We're still in people first. He says, For I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Spiritual gift is where we, you know, we, we talk about spiritual gifts. They're like a gift of the Spirit, of things that you can do in your life. Paul's purpose for going there is he wanted to bless them. I want to graciously give you something to strengthen your faith. This is first goal in there was not to take, it was to give. It doesn't say what the gift was going to be. Was he going to train him in something? Was he going to teach him how to study the word more? Was he going to teach him how to pray? Was, it doesn't say what he was going to do. But his point was, I want to go to this place I've never been, and my desire is to strengthen your faith. It's, the word has mixed in it grace. It's a gracious gift. I want to give you this thing in a spiritual life way to strengthen you. He says that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. We need each other. Pastor Mark says this all the time. Thank you for coming and worshiping together because we need each other. It happened just 20 minutes ago. I'm sitting here worshiping. I didn't tell him I was going to do this, so I hope I don't embarrass you. I'm sitting down here worshiping. I look up to our drum booth, and my son Titi is learning to drum. So I said, hey, you look in there. You see what's going on? What's he doing? And he said, he's drumming. I said, no, no. What's he doing in there? Did anybody see Stephen? I know I'm embarrassing you, buddy. <laughs> he's drumming with one hand. Do you see that? He's not doing that for show. I know you're not, Stephen. He's worshiping. He's like, I can't even drum with two hands because one's going to Jesus right now. It's like, he's worshiping. I needed to see that. I was like, yeah, now I want to worship. He's not up here playing music. He's not trying out for a band. He's worshiping and prompting us to worship. And we need each other to do that. We can't do that in isolation. We can't do that by ourselves. Our faith is dependent on each other. So that's one of the things we see from Paul, that people come first. He says, I'm not going there to get money from you. I'm not going there to take something from you. I'm not going there to put my name on your church. This is the Roman church, Paul's Roman church. I'm not going there to do that. I'm not going there to put my name there. I am going there to bless you spiritually. We need community. We need one another. And Paul says, that was my point. I want to come there that we be mutually encouraged. He says, I want to bless you, but when I see your faith, how you pray, how you serve, how you're leading, how you're changing, it's going to bless me. And so we need that. So we need to prioritize one another and coming to give, to bless, to support one another's faith. We need it. And we see that as Paul's been shaped by the gospel he says, I'm going to reach out to people first. Because the gospel comes from, you know, John 3.16 is a great one. God so loved the world. So he gave his son. So we want to love one another with that gospel love. So that's the first thing we see there. He's coming for them to bless them. The second one, we're living with the gospel form of values. We're on mission to reach everyone. We want to reach everyone with the good news of Jesus. You look in verse 13 and 14. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you. I want to get there, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, at first it can seem like, wait, I thought he was coming to bless them. What's the harvest he wants to reach? More people 
turning to Christ. That's what the harvest is, fruit. When Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, he's talking about people responding to the gospel. So he said, I want to get there. I want to reach some harvest. I want to reach some more people in Rome as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Rome is a massive multicultural city. You see in the next verse there, he said, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So he said, I'm obliged to do this because, he, we talked about this last week, he was violently opposing Christ. And Jesus not only stopped him, but then said, not, I'm stopping you, you need to stop this, but I'm calling you to go around the world and proclaim the gospel. Like he, he says, I could, you know, he didn't say this, but I think when he got knocked off his horse, and was blinded by the light. He was in sheer terror. And the Lord Jesus said, stop persecuting me. But he didn't say, and now a lightning bolt's going to come melt you down on the ground. Actually, I'm going to send you to be my mouthpiece. So he says, I'm under obligation. The Lord Jesus personally told me to go do this. So I'm going to do this, both with my heart and I'm obliged, because I want to get the gospel to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now, all I think about when I read that, Greeks and barbarians, I just have, you know, I'm a child of the 80s, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Barbarian. That's all I can see is Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, Scott was with me, in his little, uh, you know, underwear suit and giant muscles. He could barely speak English in those early films of Schwarzenegger, and he's just basically fighting everyone. That's all, like, what is, bar- you know, that's all I can think of is barbarians, but that's not what Paul is talking about. Greeks and barbarians, it's kind of a cultural Description. So the Greek culture or the Hellenistic culture is kind of the elevated culture, the upper culture. He said, I want to reach everyone here that's educated, that's literate, you might say. I want to reach every society around here that isn't. doesn't mean they're not educated, but the barbarians would be cultures that Rome has conquered or assumed. So there's all kinds of people groups around the Roman Empire that they've conquered. And if they weren't Romans or Roman citizens, those various people groups were called barbarians. They viewed them as a lower culture. So he's saying, but I'm trying to reach them all. Both to the wise. You know, wisdom is huge in Greek culture. They wanted to sit around, and that's where universities and this whole thing. We're going to debate. And, and to the foolish people who don't know anything about it. He's like, I, I want to reach anybody. I want to reach everybody. He says, I'm eager to get there and preach the gospel. And that just struck me as a value. He's on mission to reach anybody. He says, I don't care if they're the smartest of smart, the highest of high, the lowest of low. He says, I want to reach anybody. And I just had this contrast. This week, um, I jumped in to the Lighthouse Missions had an annual meeting. We got Raphael here representing the mission. But, uh, so they had an annual meeting on Zoom. So I jumped in and Hans went through, you know, he's talking about this is the budget for the year and this is what we're doing. Hans is going to be with us in a couple weeks. I'm really excited to have him. But at one slide, he's talking about what is the Lighthouse Mission doing? He goes to this slide, I wish I got it from him, and it had like 30 faces on it, almost like a slide you'd see in a yearbook with a bunch of faces and people. And it was the people who died this year in Bellingham. That he said they weren't all in mission services at the time, but the mission knew them all. And he just he said, oh, this one here, I know this. And this, this one did this, and this one was struggling with this, but we saw him here. And I think four times a year they do memorial service because they want to remember. But man, oh, it hit me hard. The Lighthouse Mission's like, we're going to reach anyone 
on any street in Bellingham, I don't care what they've done. I don't care who they are. I don't care what, what's happening in their life. We want you to come in here and start the process of transformation. So they're reaching, and it just broke my heart. There's people dying in Bellingham just out there. But then, this summer and a few times we've had the Resonate Church here that's planted at Western. And we want to reach college students that are going and they're learning wisdom. Like, we want to reach the college students. We want to reach people on the streets of Bellingham. We want to reach people in your neighborhood and in your workplace. It doesn't matter. We just want to reach anybody. It doesn't matter what place they're in in life, where they go. We're on a mission to reach everybody. I was thinking my own street. When I just looked down my street, the, the nations represented on my street, we have the Philippines, we have Iran, we have India, Russia. Oh, there might be one more I'm not thinking of. Oh, South America. That's just like on my street. Like I have all the nations. There are people either directly from those countries or a couple of generations in. Just on my street. It's, it's amazing. When they make you traditional food, it's a happy moment. But... Uh, so that's the heart of Paul. He said, I want to get to Rome. I'm going to get there. I can't wait to preach the gospel, and I don't care who I'm going to give it to. The highest of high in the society, the lowest of low, the smartest of smart, the person that does he said, I don't. the gospel's going anywhere. We want that to form. I think that is a value for us as a church. We want to reach anybody. And the third one is that the gospel does the work. This, a lot of you have this verse memorized. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There could be this sense that maybe you can read backwards. Was there an accusation? Like, what, are you afraid to come here? You don't want to come to Rome and bring your gospel to the big city? You could maybe see that as the context here. But uh, he jumps in, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, I, it's, I didn't come, he says, the, the reason I haven't got there has nothing to do with me being ashamed or afraid or unwilling. He's like, don't think that. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel at all. In fact, it's the opposite. The gospel, the announcement of the victory of Jesus, is the power of God for salvation. I know some of you think in pictures, so let me give you some pictures. The word for power is where we get our word dynamite. It's not power I plugged in and charged my phone in the outlet. Uh-uh, huh Explosive power. Right? Blowing holes in rock power. Right? Dynamite. That, the gospel is the dynamite of God. It moves things. It blows things up. And then the word for salvation is the word for rescue. People drowning. Someone's throwing them a lifeline. Right? You're going to go off the, the waterfall if you don't grab this rope. See, that's what the gospel is. It has all of God's power to break into your life, to convict you of sin, to realize you're on the wrong track, and you grab the rescue line of Jesus, and this is the power to rescue you, to forgive you, to save you. He said, that's the gospel. It has that power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See that? You, you believe, and here's the key of it. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed. So God is perfectly right, perfectly holy, perfectly pure and just. And it says the gospel is that that righteousness of God is actually available to you through faith. Now, he's introducing here, so I'll jump ahead a little bit. But you see this spelled out in Romans three twenty one. 
He says, but now, he's in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Typically, we think, just by human nature and by the law, that we become right with God by obeying perfectly, by becoming, having a perfect moral record. And the law actually proves that you can't, right? You just can't do it. You just go through the Ten Commandments. You don't get very far before you're like, oops, oops, oh, ah, broken, broken, bummer, broken. So the righteousness of God is now revealed, it's now available, it's now visible apart from the law that we can't keep, we can't be perfect. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the the righteousness that we receive to be declared righteous, to be standing in rightness with God, is by faith through what what Jesus Christ has done. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. We just celebrated that at the table here. All the sin of us goes on to Jesus. So that we might become the righteousness of God. His righteousness is given to us. Wow. He says, this is the righteousness of God is revealed. That you can be made righteous. It's revealed in the gospel through believing what Christ has done. It's from faith for faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So it's not just that one time I made a decision for Jesus. We constantly live continuing to believe the truth. That's why we had to remember It's not just that once you are saved, I'm continually reminded that I'm righteous in Christ. And when the voice of the accuser comes in, I need to live by faith. Not what the accuser's voice says, I'm righteous in Christ. I'm believing that truth. And when your own mind and thoughts begin to condemn you, oh, look at how bad you are. You broke that promise again. You say, you know what? I'm going to believe the truth that I'm righteous. We live by faith, not just we made a decision in faith. We continually believe the truth that we are made righteous in Christ. That is who we are. That is who we've been made in Christ. We continue to believe that and walk in Christ. So here he's saying that the gospel does the work. Right? He says, I'm not ashamed. It's the power of God. Rick, are you out there? He's going, okay, Rick's going to bring in a, a uh, show and tell. But this was unplanned until I was talking to Rick this morning. There he is. Come on up here, Rick. So what I was thinking with this, Paul saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power. It is the dynamite. The gospel does the work. And every week, Rick and a team, Eric and Joel and see Arlene was there this week, have come out front here. And um, they just are set up out front. Come on, I want you to see what, this, I want us to see what this sign says. I'll hold one end. You hold that end. We got enough real estate here? Here, you put that in your other hand when you get there. Did you get there? Okay. Alright. That's one of the signs. Yeah, there you go. Put it right up there. Right there. Okay. 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 So, Rick's out here with the team, and why do you want Bible verses on the signs, Rick? Well, because God's Word 
does the work in my heart and in your heart and their hearts, right? So it's really simple. We used to have sayings that were honorable, but they weren't God's word. So we changed it because, you know, when you share God's word, it does all the work. You just have to be the messenger boy. It's nice. Does this turn off? There we go. Uh, Tell about this week. Someone pulls in. Need gas. Well, we had a team, a great team. Eric Summers, Arlene, Dylan Chinko was there. And uh, we set the signs up. And uh, as soon as we got this one done, uh, this young man comes <clears throat> through the roundabout running out of gas in his vehicle. And this is all God arranged, okay? We can't. It's just beautiful. He comes out of gas and he ends up in the parking lot and he comes up and he goes, Hey, I got a 20-minute appointment from now, and, and I ran out of gas, and can, I, can you guys help me get gas? He opens up his wallet. He has plenty of money. He says, I'll pay. I just don't have a gas can. So Brother Eric here, he runs through the church building and, and uh, finds a gas can down below. And while, while he was gone, I, we were praying, and I, Arlene was busy praying intently. And uh, the Lord opened up. Bible verses to this young man that we had up on the, on the grass there in front of the building. And this was one of them. And he was, he was really, really drawn to the gospel message. And honestly, when we got to this verse here, we read it together. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and I asked him, I said, what's the word right in front of Christ Jesus? He says, in. I said, that's right. Either we're in or we're out to have this no condemnation, okay? Because we're his or we're not. And he got that. And then immediately another man comes up, and so he was pulled into the conversation. But it was just a beautiful Beautiful morning. Eric came up with the gas about 10, 20 minutes later. And the, and the ministry just continued. And oh, it's moments like that. So, anyway. All right. Hey, thanks, Rick. Let's give him a hand. Thank you. I'm going to take that back. If you, if you want to be more a part of that or know what they're doing on, on Wednesdays, you can talk to Rick there. But the reason I wanted to bring that up here, he says the, the gospel has the power of God. And Rick's conviction was if we put scripture out there, that the power of God is on display. And we don't know what's going to happen with the guy. We don't know what, but that's working on his heart. We're just praying all week, the gospel, the, the, that you can be, have no condemnation when you're in Christ. And he's am I in Christ? Are you in Christ? So it's just a conviction. So the encouragement, Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed. I'm going to give the gospel because it has the dynamite power. And I'd encourage us that when you're talking with people, that you wouldn't be afraid of your faith. We don't know what they're going to believe. We don't know what they're going to do. We don't know what anybody's going to say. But just sharing the gospel message, sharing a simple scripture, it has the power to do the work. We don't have to make it work, twist an arm, right? We can't force anything. The gospel does the work. So we want to live with gospel-formed values, right? And it's just out of complete gratitude. When Jesus Christ changes our heart, we begin to go, you know, this isn't just about me. It's about others. 
And so when we come together as a church, we say, people come first. How can I serve that person? How can I pray for that person? How can I bless that person? How can I share a spiritual, gracious gift in their life? People come first. We want a mission to reach everyone, anyone, whether you're like them or not, whether you understand their world or you don't, whether you speak their language or you don't. We just, we want anyone here to know. And we can just rest in the power of the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're working among us in our youth in our lives in this room, on the lawn on Wednesdays, all the places you send us on Monday morning. Let us be people who value one another, that we would continue to allow our faith to impact each other. Let us be people who are reaching out to anyone and everyone. I pray for ministries in town. I pray for the Lighthouse Mission. Would you bless their work? Would you supply their need? Would you supply them with more workers and volunteers? We pray already for their new project. They're endeavoring to expand. And would you bring in every dollar they need for that? We pray for the ministry of Resonate Church. I think they kicked off at 11 o'clock this morning on campus. Would you let the gospel transform Western? And Lord, we pray that we would be ready to share. Let your word work. Thank you that we can be a part of it. We pray this in your name. Amen.